Hello and welcome to Reptory Screenings, episode 25. I'm your host, M, and with me are my regular co-host, Jackson. Hello. And Destiny. Howdy. And we're here to talk about movies. A quarter century of movies. That's it. I haven't seen a single movie that I care to talk about on this podcast between now and last recording. So who's got something? Um, I've got something, I guess. Yeah. I watched the movie Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. Oh, yeah. You did. Uh, all 700 did hours that. of it. Yeah, all 6,000 hours of Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. Um, I really like that movie. I think it's like incredible or anything, uh, but I, I had a great time with it. Uh, the, the the points of note are that the main trio are really, really bad. All three of them can't act um, to the point where it like kind of adds to the charm of the movie because their characters are all well-written, but the actors' performances are all bad. And all the other actors are just like character actors doing some uh, ridiculous uh, either pirate acting. So, you know, Jeffrey Rush is nailing it as Barbosa or Jonathan Price is, is like, I am the man who will defend the honor of the crown. And then there's the Commodore who's doing that, but younger and more snooty. Uh, so they're all good. Uh, it's, just a, it's just a fun movie. I've never, I've never seen these films. I've, I've seen like bits of them in clips, and you know, I was a kid when they came out, so they were around. But I've never actually sat down and watched Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> My fun fact is, uh, when I saw this in the theater, I fell asleep. That's because it's seven years long. Because Lord of the Rings just happened. <laughs> and was like, let's do, let's all do that, and. You know, everything being too long is a bummer, but uh, I do miss it. I uh, don't miss long movies. I want every movie to be 90 minutes, unless oh, you're absolutely. a historical movie or you're a biopic. Those are the only times you get to be longer than 90 minutes. A biopic um, can be as long as it wants, because I won't see it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I'm saying I'll see it. I'm changing the rules. All the biopics have to be like uh, the shortest ones of all now. No biopic <laughs> over 70 minutes. 55 I mean, minutes in and out it in depends out. on who you're about what it's who's it's about i think like okay if you're making like a before night falls take as much time as you need that's an interesting person nobody knows a lot about ronaldo arnis but like if you're making a movie about elvis or something we don't need more than an hour i keep like thinking oh i should watch mr turner um and then i say it's 143 minutes long and i'm like no no <laughs> I will not be doing that to t- with my evening today. <laughs> no, thank you. Dusty, have you watched any movies? Yesterday, you and I watched Spirited Away, which I don't have a podcast about Yeah, Ghibli no, fair movies, enough, go ahead. So I'm going to say, hey, that movie, it really holds up. It's still yeah. entertaining. It's still touching in all the right spots. It's still whimsical and wonderful, and I enjoyed it. Next next Monday will be our uh, and then an airplane episode about that, if you listen to that. I'm looking forward to recording it. Not sure what we're going to say. <laughs> I would be interested. Oh, sorry. Oh, nothing. Go ahead. I was going to say, I'd be interested in some of the like links to actual Japanese like fairy tales and mythology, if you can find any that are in that film, because I feel like as an American, I'm missing some context. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's definitely, it's weird because like. Part of the movie is actually Miyazaki just going like, kids don't understand fables these days. Let's just throw everything at the wall and they'll figure it out. Um, 
there's definitely a sense of like, this is the angry old man yells at cloud about kids. These days don't care about the radish spirits. And I'm here to tell you that radish spirit fucking whips. So that radish spirit is a highlight of the film. <laughs> He's so good. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I, um, I think I have a book or two <laughs> on the shelf that I can hand you, um, that are just like, you know, collections of Japanese folklore. Um, I would actually enjoy that. Somebody yeah. who like loves folklore in general of the world. I'm going to have to peruse your shelf. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the movie, the movie's uh, pretty good. I'm glad yeah. uh, it got held up because I was very worried that I would watch it and have a lot of problems with it, and I didn't. Don't know what no. I think about it as, like, formal criticism because it's the way it is, but, you know, there we go. There you go. Uh, let's get on to our movie. Our movie this week is Orlando, uh, directed by Sally Potter, uh, written by Sally Potter, based on Orlando, a biography by Virginia Woolf, uh, which is a novel. Uh, it came out in 2003, or not, 1993. No. My brain just added 10 years. <laughs> um, and, this is a very uh, long 10 years. <laughs> this is a very long 10 years. <laughs> um, Destiny chose this, if you would like to say why you chose it a bit. I thought it would be interesting. I literally... I've, I've seen this movie a few times just growing up. It was just one of those art films that would pop up on cable. Um, and I just remember thinking it was really pretty and really strange. And I just wanted to know what y'all thought of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I know that there's like a lot of feelings and thoughts about capital G gender happening in this movie, but, uh, I don't know. I never watched it with that critical eye. Probably just my cis privilege talking. Um, and the feminism in it is so 90s <laughs> uh, that it, I don't know, I just, I, I didn't watch it very critically back then. So it was nice to just, like, I wanted to revisit it as an adult with sort of a critical eye. Um, so that was another reason why I picked it. Because I was like, well, we'll get, if, if we hate this movie, if it turns out this movie's like a minefield and it's awful. Because that's what I was also worried about. Like, at least we'll have an interesting podcast about it. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so briefly, Orlando is about a uh, nobleman or a young man in Elizabethan era, played by Tilda Swinton, uh, who the queen is like, y you will have this house and money and a castle as long as you promise me this, you will never fade and grow old like I did because you're too beautiful. And Orlando says yes. And so just lives forever, um, ends up like dabbling in poetry, becoming a uh, ambassador uh to uh constantinople and uh, coming back uh during that time in constantinople has this uh like crisis of awareness or revelation it's never really clear how this happens but turns into a woman and then heads back uh to her estate only to find that she uh, no longer has any rights to the title because she's a lady now and uh hundreds of years pass and uh billy zane shows up uh dramatically to romance her briefly and is like what if you ran away to america and she's like nah that sounds like it sucks uh and then cut to the present day where she is now a uh a, a novelist writing about her experiences um and is like now i finally figured it out yeah that's the short <laughs> with my 80 year old baby Yes. There's a lot of, like, just great logical leaps happening in this film. Uh, and that's probably one of my favorites, that she gives birth to this baby sometime around World War One, And then in, in the 1990s, the baby's just like a four-year-old. Yes. <laughs> 
Um, I have not read the novel. Destiny, have you read this book? No, I have not. As an English major, we only read essays by women authors and not their actual full works. Oh, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> That's something I realized when I was thinking about this film. I'm like, I've only read A Room of One's Own. Like, we weren't made to read any of her novels, none of her fiction. It's very weird. My focus in as a, as a literature major was like at least 60 years uh, earlier than this. Like I never would have read something of the vintage of Virginia Woolf. So. Well, mine was weird. It was American literature specifically, but you had yeah. to take Brit lit and you had to take, I don't know, but they always tried to highlight women and minorities. And so you'd think that we would have read at least one fucking Virginia Woolf fiction book. Okay. Um, so yeah, where do we want to go with this? You, you mentioned you were like worried it was going to be big gender. And then Jackson this morning before we were recording today was like, I know people expect this to be big gender, but I don't think that's what we're going to talk about. And, uh, I think they're right. Cause I don't think there's that much to it. I uh, like exactly. it is present. It is a present as a thing that happens. And the, the gender stuff I have is what you've already pointed out that, uh, she because like Orlando becomes a woman has this situation. She's like, none of the men respect me now. It's fucked up how we treat women. And then figures out her freedom by becoming a famous, uh, thin blonde author with a child who gives her a sense of purpose. It's the most like nineties women can have a child and a career and then they will have everything. Yeah. It's a little much. Uh, but even the, the final monologue is like, it's because she was thin and had a career. Yes. <laughs> to the point of, wait, do you know, do you, they, they might know. I think, she yeah, knows. I, think I think they know it's good. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, well, yeah, the androgynous that, appearance is all all they want at the time. And, and the career is like writing her the stuff that happened to her. And the literary agent's like, we can sell this. It, you know, you have to change everything, but we can sell this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think the crisis that causes... Because in the book, it's way more ambiguous, I was led to believe. Like, what mm. changes Orlando's gender overnight. But in the film, they kind of make it like... He meets the uh i don't know what the ruler of constantinople like the person he's uh mainly dealing with and they they're toasting to various things and then when he mentions romance orlando's like oh and the guy's like oh well you know we can toast to the masculine virtues and then when they do like like later isn't it like right around that time no it's it's after it's after uh he sees his like friend walk around and shoot that guy like leave him he's not a man he's the enemy it's like the night after that yes so it's like what is a man yes if he can just be shot (laughs) interesting response to the like violent scene yeah huh this also goes into that 90s feminism thing of like if women ruled the world there'd be no murder or war yeah doesn't it go into like it feels yeah. like that doesn't it feel like that <laughs> yes for sure <laughs> oh the <laughs> 90s the other really 90s thing this movie does is cast a lot of like opposite gender casting like it's almost stunt casting if the people weren't so b- obscurely british <laughs> hey <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know. I had to tell M who Quentin Crisp was. And I only knew who Quentin Crisp was, was because all of the uh, teenage, like, Anglophiles I hung out with were really into, like, UK queer culture. And then, like, I had to point out, oh, that's the Erasure singer. And so, it's... It's a fair, I know, I know who Erasure is because they fucking whip, but I would not have recognized that guy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just thought I'd, uh put that in there it's it's 
If you're British, it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> if you're not, it's like, who dat? Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yes, absolutely. I thought Queen yeah, Chris I- made a pretty good Elizabeth, but that's just me. That was pretty good. Yeah, I really <laughs> like this movie. Um, inevitably, uh, just because of you know my predilections, I ended up uh, latching on much more to like the musings on the kind of ridiculous. Uh, tr- um, I don't know what the word is, but you know the path of the dying colonialism of the British Empire, or I guess the rising and dying in the in the um, way the the arc of the story takes it. it begins in the sixteen hundred and ends in the nineties, and so you get to see uh, the whole arc of um, everything about uh, the way Britain interacts with the world. And I was surprised; I was really surprised at how front and center that is, because that's like a uh, underlying theme in basically every book written in Britain ever since the eighteen hundreds. Um, but it's no, it's just entirely about that as she like goes uh to the other to the Ottoman Empire and uh you know the guy goes to goes up to her face and is, is like, Hey, you know, you are you're English, you collect countries. Um and I was surprised at how frank it was about uh navigating the tension of being a a like noble um in the structure of the like British crown and how they interface with the world. Yeah. Uh, the thing, the thing that whole, uh, Ottoman empire sequence reminds me of actually is, uh, the adventure of Baron Munchausen, which is my favorite Terry Gilliam film from 1988, mm-hmm. uh, which is just about a, like, you know, famous nobleman who gets into a bunch of fantastical adventures. Uh, but there is the whole thing about like, they have to fight the like Turks and, uh, the way in which all that like farce of people in giant wigs walking on like the wall as the city's being assaulted just feels yes. pulled directly out of Baron Munchausen. The way it like really focuses on uh, the guy's like ridiculous wig and his shoes and stuff as he is very straight faced telling Orlando about this is not a man, this is the enemy. Do not have emotions on the battlefield. Basically giving giving Orlando uh, solid snake monologues dressed <laughs> like uh, old timey British character. It's very funny. Yeah, this movie's so funny. Yes. Yeah, this movie's hilarious. I laughed out loud a couple of times. Apparently, it's loosely based on her Virginia Woolf's Love Air, uh, Vita Sackville West, uh, like part of her family history, I guess. And uh, her son says that it uh, was the longest and most charming love letter in literature, in which she explores Vita, weaves her in and out of the centuries, tosses her from one sex to the other, plays with her, dresses her in flirt, flirt, furs, lace, and emeralds teases her, flirts with her, and drops a veil of mist around her. And uh, film definitely does that to Orlando. <laughs> uh, yeah, but also, I like it how much the film invests in Orlando just kind of being, like, the fool. Um, yes. Almost throughout, really. Like, from the yeah, beginning... Yeah, it really or- goes away. Orlando is, like, this dabbler in the arts who's not very good at it, uh, just drops his fiancé to get with this, like, Russian lady who isn't actually into him and just, like, bounces immediately. <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> yes like Body. he's literally he, they're literally at this party at this whole like it, it, it's like a whole ambassadorial like event and he is just ignoring his fiance standing right next to him to flirt with this russian girl who thinks it's cute but is clearly not going to stay for him and doesn't and leaves 
Um, and then he, he hires him, yeah. he hires a poet to like to critique his poetry, and all he does is like trash it and write his own in uh, recompense, like you know, calling it garbage. And uh, he pays him. He pays the poet. <laughs> Throws all the poems away, but pays the poet. Um, it's all good. And even like through the transformation, like you know, once uh, she's in the estate and about to be forced out, like Billy Zane rides up on her and she's like, "Let's get married." And he's like, "What if instead of marriage, we ran away to America?" And she's like, "I can't." run away to america that's a silly place (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and he comes in like just the most cartoon like romance novel man uh with his flowing hair uh he basically plays the same character in twin peaks which is very funny to me specifically because it's right around the same time um and it's impossible to take him seriously he's so funny in this (laughs) He reminds me, yeah, he's the same character. He just has a horse instead of a plane. Yep. He, like, shows up almost similarly. Like, yes. I... he he rides out of the mist, and she's like, marry me. And he's like, hmm, I'll think about it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. God, that's stuff wild. Yes. Oh, she, the thing, she falls down, because she, she goes into, she runs into her hedge mage after, like, the guy that, you know, used to be her best friend now wants to propose to her. And the he's Archduke. like, I don't... Yeah, he's like, I don't care about your weird sexual predilections. We can just keep it quiet. I think you're wonderful. And she's like, well, that's a weird thing to say. Goodbye. <laughs> Runs to a hedge maze for a hundred years. And she comes out and into the fog and hears a train. And she's like, what's that noise? And Billy Zane rides up going, the future. <laughs> yeah. This movie is ludicrous. <laughs> it is romance novel cover hair wind yes it's mist. so good oh he's like i have to leave back to america with the wind changed to the southwest and as they're having this discussion about whether they're gonna get married and have a baby or if he, she's gonna go to america with him the wind picks up starts like just like a giant fan put on both of them she's like oh the southwest wind and he immediately gets on his horse and bounces <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh this is like the prototypical idea of, I mean, we didn't do this in school, uh, but a movie that I would have watched in school and would have f- like felt like my mind, like felt my mind being crushed by the seriousness with which I'm sure my lecturer would have discussed it. Yes. Because <laughs> uh, it is like dense with ideas um, and lots of things you can unpick about gender and uh, nationalism and English history and everything. Uh, but it's also hilarious. Like the first thing that happens is that uh, he runs down and he's late. And he has, immediately has to do like this terrible poem, and mm-hmm. the poem goes over so it's such a bad poem. <laughs> and yes. then Queen Elizabeth is like, has to stop and be like, "Bro, <laughs> the fuck are you doing with this poem? <laughs> You're gonna come down, look at me, old dying Queen Elizabeth, and be like, this is a virtue of uh, hot girls in their youth.' <laughs> yes." <laughs> the one bit that I assume is straight out of the. Um out of the uh, book is there's this bit where now she's a woman. She's like, I'm going to go to the city to go to the salon and talk to the great minds of our era. And she goes and it's uh, fucking Alexander Pope holding court about all his shitty, stupid ideas. Cause I don't know if anyone went through British lit destiny did Alexander Pope fucking sucks. Alexander Pope <laughs> is so bad. <laughs> yeah. And he's just sitting there like, ah, yes, women can be clever, but only because of their husbands who teach them the right things to say. Otherwise they're barely people. Isn't that true? <laughs> they're like and, animals. Uh, Yes. And she's just sitting there, like, silently fuming. He's like, ah, oh, yes, your rage becomes you, madam. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And there's, like, another, like, older, more um, 
just more in tune with the social uh, Moors woman there, who's basically responding to everything that he says with like, ha ha, such, such incredible wit, Alexander. <laughs> yes. Uh, that might have been my favorite scene costume-wise. A lot of good costuming. Yes. Good color palette. I really ate that up. Wait, there's the bit where she first comes back to her mansion and they get her just the largest court dress possible. And so she's going through her abandoned mansion, like trying not to bump into all of the furniture that's been covered for like a hundred years. Oh, it's so funny. Yep. Uh, yeah, this stuff's good. Tilda Swinton kills it in this movie. Uh, it is a very weird role because Orlando has to be like, someone you sympathize with but don't respect yes <laughs> in a way that i think is really good um just just the fool of history um and that stuff works really well yep just forest gumping through the empire <laughs> yes uh but slightly more aware <laughs> yes yeah because there's there's a, there's a bit that like it's probably my favorite transition in uh the movie where uh he's been in constantinople for 10 years and he like the right before this he's like you know sitting around in his giant wig uh choking down the like chai tea or whatever that the the con gave him uh and then it's 10 years later and he's just in full-on like middle eastern garb striding confidently down the street uh (laughs) but also still looks like a ridiculous dandy because you can't take that out of a person (laughs) no you'll always be the like english nobleman who's come to the, the the east to express the king's will yes uh it's good. All that stuff is uh, uh, very good, and like mm-hmm. I eat that up, obviously. Um, I really liked how uh, the movie understood how the fourth wall breaks uh, don't actually need any dialogue, really. Yes. <laughs> yes. It does a lot of fourth wall breaking, but not in like the you know House of Cards or I guess you know Scorsese type way, where it's more about like I'm going to go a whole monologue and let you know in on my thought process. But this movie understands that no, you know the words don't matter. It's really just the bit where they look at you, and so most of Orlando's fourth wall breaks are just looking to camera like. Uh. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, I turned to Destiny early on in this movie and I was like, oh, this is where that creepy gif comes from. <laughs> yeah. I'd forgotten that there was a creepy gif of like yeah, the, one of the very first scenes of the film, right? Yeah, it's just it's just Orlando sitting on a tree, like looking off like sta- like, you know, stage uh right, and then looks directly to camera after like five like three seconds, but in the gif it's like extended to like ten and then looks to camera and uh, it's a creepy gif and <laughs> in the context of the movie it's way funnier. <laughs> but yeah so much of it is just like halperding directly to camera like are you seeing the fucking shit i'm dealing with well they Um, picked somebody with the steeliest eyes to do all of these fourth wall breaks what great casting which which makes it work so well because like half the time uh orlando is wrong about yes like half the time it's like can you see the shit i'm dealing with this woman will not run away from russia to with me And I'm like, yeah, no, of course she won't, because she's smart, you dumbass. Moron. <laughs> and then uh, his fiance is like, but we are betrothed, my lady. <laughs> my lord. <laughs> they literally, there is literally a my lord, my lady, like, back and forth scene in this movie. Yes. I've lost it. Oh, I, so I hope good. that the, um, uh, the, you know, Sam Lake and everyone would watch this. Yes. I want to say this was Tilda's first role in, like, because uh, she had mostly just done movies with Derek Jarman for the first part of her career. Like, she, that's all she did in the 80s was movies with him. And then I want to say this is like the first thing she did after he passed away, but I'm not 100% on that. Don't quote me on that. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, this was slightly before uh, he passed away. Oh, okay. My bad. She had she had done other things, but mostly Derek Jarman. Hmm. Yep. Yeah, she's um definitely if you want someone with a look. <laughs> it's funny because the thing I think of, like the first role I knew who Tilda Swinton was was Constantine, where she plays the angel Gabriel. That is also like a weird gender bending role. Uh, but I always think of her as like the pulpiest actor. It's very funny going back to when she wasn't like you know playing an Asian in Marvel movies. I think of her as like art film person. So yes. I think it's weird when she does blockbusters. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> You're yeah. Tilda Swinton. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, she's great in this. Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't think you could. I don't think it would work with anybody else. It would be too campy or too like. I don't know. It just wouldn't work. Hmm. Uh is there other stuff, or should we go to our questions? We have a lot of questions today. Yeah, we can go to questions because they'll just put out more of the <laughs> things. We I think say. so too. Okay, so uh, we're going to start. We have an email from Alex, uh, who really liked this movie, uh, just totally uh, into this, asked if uh, other Sally Potter films are like this. I haven't seen any other of her movies. Have you done Me neither. Okay. I've been meaning to see, uh, is it Ginger and Rosa for a really long time, but Mm -hmm. I have not seen any of her other films. Definitely tracking them down, because I want to see if they're all this surreal. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, next question is, what was your favorite air transition? Uh, theirs was Orlando running through the hedge maze and switching from Georgian to Victorian dress, which was very good as a cut. Uh, mine was definitely the 10 years in Constantinople where suddenly just striding down the street in, uh, you know, his full on like desert pants and turban. I think mm-hmm. mine is also the hedge maze. It was just too pretty. I can't resist pretty. Uh, I think mine's the, the, just the last one because I spent the whole thing going. This has to go. This has to go to the present day. You can't not. You can't. You can't cow it out. I hope that. And I know this book was written in, in whatever time it was, like you know, back the twenties, the twenties. Uh, but I didn't know. I was like, I, you know, uh, I didn't know exactly when in the early nineteenth century Virginia Woolf published this. So I was like, I, I'm sure the book ends there. But you have to take it to the nineties, and they did. I was very happy. And then London looks fake. I don't think it is, but it looks like it's, it's, she's driving through, like, a um, toku set at some points. The build- <laughs> <laughs> like, the buildings look fake. And I don't know why, because it has to be intentional, because I don't, London doesn't look like that. I was like, wait, was this, are they trying to make it look like the 20s? I, said, but I think so I had, I had a very different experience where, like, it starts with her going to the publisher, and it's the same guy who played the poet who yes. trashed all of his work, and he's now like, yeah, I'll buy this. You gotta change the ending and make the love interest more compelling, but yeah, we'll buy it, whatever. And she drives through London, which London already kind of looks like a nightmare city to me, and she goes to her <laughs> yes. old mansion, which is like covered, like all the trees are covered in white fabric and all the like lawns and the door has this weird ornate like vaginal looking opening over it now. And I was like, is this supposed to be like in like, like, uh, uh, what's the name of that? A bicentennial man where suddenly it's the future and they did like the lowest budget future London possible, which would have been a wild thing to do in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um but no it's just it's just present day but it does have this weird uncanny like reality to it yeah i guess that's just what filming london looks like but it looks yes. really strange yes. she's also way. riding around in that yes like, that's motor like and... sidecar yes and she's like dressed a... like it's the 40s like it's yes. a little conf- it feels a little like an orwell thing <laughs> yeah uh, I do like the bit where she's like tours her own mansion and uh, she's like, yes, I never age, but it's it's the UK. So everyone's very polite about it. It doesn't ask any questions. 
<laughs> yes, no, it was, it was, it was, this is England, so no one pretends to notice. <laughs> That's really good. Um, what parts of the movie had you really burst out laughing? I think we covered most of these. If anyone has something that wasn't covered. Can you repeat the question? What part of the movie had you really burst out laughing? Uh, I laughed out loud uh, when the, the proposal from her uh, archduke. Yes. It, like the dialogue is pretty much similar to what she said to the Russian way back in the yes. 1600s. And I thought that was really funny. And then I laughed when uh, the poet was funny. That whole sequence with him just eating up uh, eating up the food and, and just being like a total dick. And then making fun of the poem on the boat. And uh, there's a lot of funny scenes in this movie. The best part of the Archduke's proposal is the two guys who came to serve like the warrant. Just like realizing what's happening and running away as fast as possible. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Uh, I have to mention the scene where she first falls asleep for too long and Mm. it keeps cutting to different guys coming up the stairs more and more more guys coming in to look at her affliction or his affliction at this point and uh, eventually the guy looks in and uh, like puts puts his head down his uh, his heart beating and is like I believe he is sleeping (laughs) it's like a doctor after all this time they finally call a doctor and all of the servants are nodding like okay and then, and then he basically wakes up and says, fucking women. <laughs> Can't trust him. Uh, if this movie were made today, what horrible explanation for Orlando's nature do you think would be shoehorned in? Uh, I think this original question says Shelmerdine. I assume the novel has Shelmerdine because another email mentioned that Shelmerdine is also like Orlando. I don't know if that means immortal or like gender fluid in like a concrete material way. Uh, yeah, I don't know the specifics there, but I assume that's what the, the like beef up yeah. the love interest is a reference to. Yeah. Because um, in this, he's just a ridiculous man who shows up and then goes to America because he has the pursuit of liberty. Yes. <laughs> a man must uh, ha- have liberty and freedom, he says as he runs away from the woman proposing to him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's so full of shit, it's amazing. Yes. Um, according to the Wikipedia page on the book, mm-hmm. uh, Orlando marries a sea captain named Marmaduke Bonthrop Shelmerdine, who is gender <laughs> non-conforming. Okay. I know, they don't say the full name in the movie, and I feel like that's a disservice. Um, anyway, what horrible explanation in the modern remake of Orlando? Magical uh, orbs or something. Some space, <laughs> uh, it could be space aliens, uh, uh, a comet. Every time Haley's Comet comes by. I'm pretty sure Velvet Goldmine presupposes that, like, aliens made Oscar Wilde, and then it's just the spirit of Oscar Wilde moving through all of these people, namely this David Bowie stand-in. And it's got, it's got to be something stupid like that. <laughs> the thing I think is interesting is that on the Wikipedia page, um, uh, like the director like talks about how in the novel there is no explanation for why uh orlando is aging um it just happens and no one mentions it because they're english uh whereas like in in this uh she did make up like a re- like the scene with elizabeth like basically saying you must not grow old uh was um like an addition to the movie that that, that is the version of this i think it works in the movie but they, they did already add something to explain it yeah well, that doesn't then, explain 
the gender change, but it does, yeah, it does explain the immortality, I guess. But I feel like in a movie, you have more liberty to not offer up explanations. So I think it's interesting that she chose to put one in, because you don't really need one. Not for the immortality, not for the anything. Just, it's a movie. I mean, I think it, I think you do need it specifically because for the first sections before it gets like a hundred years later, you could just think it's one character who has been aging, but is one actor. Hmm. Um, so it puts that idea in your head. I yeah. suppose. Not knowing about this movie, I actually didn't realize that it was about an immortal person until the first 50-year jump. So <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, I see what we're doing here. I knew so it I, was I, about... Oh, you yeah. I just I still think the movie's explanation is ambiguous enough that it, you yes. I don't I don't read that as Elizabeth bequeathed immortality onto Orlando. No, well, no, like, it's, but it, it's like a much more like thematic thing, right? Yes, the, yeah, for uh, sure. Potter infers that it is Orlando's will that makes him or her Either immortal, <laughs> which I think is fascinating. Oh. You were saying Jackson? Oh yeah, I had it. I knew it was like a. Um, Tilda Swinton gender bent time travel movie. Yeah. Uh, so I was expecting it like to cut to the present day within the first twenty minutes. Ah. <laughs> um, oh. But I did. It, it did not. Uh, it was. It was not what I expected at all. From the weird things I'd heard about it. It was great though. Uh, Alex's last question: uh, What is the most soulless movie any of you have ever seen? Uh, Since this movie has soul leaking out of every frame. Yeah, specifically. <laughs> Uh, oh i mean anything with a superhero in it i'm gonna be that girl that's true though i mean yeah my i think my answer is probably guardians of the galaxy, the galaxy 2. 2. <laughs> yes <laughs> specifically that one it's so oh, it broke bad. us it oh. broke us in a way almost no other movie has it's so bad i'm trying to think of another answer but that that's the first thing that popped into my head uh okay do you want us to move on then yeah, let's just move on. Okay, we've got questions from Tron. What are your thoughts on the soundtrack for this movie? I will say, when the final song plays in this movie, I burst out laughing. It's impossible to take it seriously. It's beautiful. It's exactly what 1992 should be doing musically. Yes. <laughs> Sally, Pot Sally Potter actually did some of the music. Like, she does music on her own films. That's cool. That is cool. <laughs> I thought the singing angel at the end was really weird and yes. delightful, nonetheless. <laughs> like, um, why not? Just what, fuck it. Put it in there. What's your favorite looking shot or scene in this movie? Oh, there's too many. I like the shot of when she first comes home after switching over to Lady Orlando when they're just, like, putting all the underwear on. I, I liked the uh, entire sequence at Alexander Pope's little dumb party, Shelmerdine's entrance and exit. <laughs> I think my favorite shot is there's a long shot of Orlando in Constantinople just sitting in the bath, like lounging with the turban on as uh, the Archduke shows up to give him an award. Um, and he's just like, just very chill, very peaceful. And you just hear this like British man yelling off screen. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, my favorite shot would be uh, earlier in the Constantinople sequence where they're doing their like first cultural exchange or whatever, and it's like a bit as a wide shot in the desert on Orlando standing alone, and the 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 other guy has like all of the uh, you know all of his servants and you know because Orlando just showed up and just kind of floundering in the desert, being like, uh, 
congratulations to you too for being hot and large. It's <laughs> 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 just just a cartoon British noble. Uh, it's very good. Um, and then most of the rest of Tron's questions are about our thoughts about gender transformation fiction or how gender works in this movie. Uh, I think me and Jackson are both pretty clear on this movie has like a very loose idea of like the like gender mattering in that way i think it i think it definitely like leans into this very like liberal feminism idea of like if we stop treating women like they were moms they would just be people and they could have all the things they wanted namely careers the ability to do capitalism um i think it's a bit more nuanced than that but only because it's also about this other stuff yeah uh uh like when um Orlando asks this Russian woman to stay. Uh, he is asking because he is like the super powerful aristocracy guy, right? He is the lord of this place in in England uh, and has that power. Like Elizabeth at the start of the movie is like, all that is yours is mine already. And then when later on, uh, when the Archduke tries to uh, like convince uh, Orlando to marry him, he's like, I am England, right? So I think the stuff it's saying about uh gender and how women can have a tool is also tied up in an awareness of like class and the like being a movie about the aristocracy enough to know that like you you know Orlando's freedom exists because uh they are not connected to any kind of monetary or even like uh, you know mortal concerns oh i definitely think that the movie leans into and look at the world of today where now women can be people because we don't have everyone be a mother and you know we got rid of class in in the world uh yeah you could read the ending that way but i think that like the whole scene with the poet being like you can fucking write what you want i gotta eat people gotta eat uh is like core to a lot of the way I think about the stuff in the movie. Like mm-hmm. all that is so disconnected from anything representing like even close to material concern um, that it all becomes like just play for, for, for her in the end. I think that's why the pregnancy takes place when it takes place. You see, mm-hmm. you see her running through that battlefield. Cause it's like, finally she has something, which is kind of hokey, but Yes. Finally, she has the material concern. She gets it. Like, that's the thing that connects her. Yeah, the idea that her, like, transformational experience into someone who can, like, say something of worth is to be a mom is, like, extremely, uh, like, ugh. Margaret well, yeah. Finger Hat is here. <laughs> Big time 90s. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if um, the book is, like, I know the book ends in the 20s, but I want, I want I'm going to read this book. I'm too fascinated to not read this book. <laughs> Anybody like gender transformation stuff? I feel like I haven't experienced much of it. Uh, I know that's a big thing with uh, a lot of people I know, but um, because uh, that often is just binarist, I, I'm a man yeah. to a woman or a woman to a man. I, I always feel very weird, kind of alienated by it, honestly. Am I? Yep. I want to get your opinion on the first thing out of Lady Orlando's mouth when she realizes what's going on. She just goes, oh, it's the same person, just a different sex. Like, yeah. is that meaningful like i actually thought that was a really great line but i, I didn't mean, know it, that- it is a really great line i feel like uh I, I feel like hopefully most people operating in 2020 don't think otherwise i guess would be my hope but they don't no i know but it's it's like a very like it is it is like a i think it's a very corny line i think it's like appropriate for the movie and like the era in which it's made and i know people probably still need to hear it but um uh you know 
not about that 101 life. <laughs> I also like that yes. they didn't make a big deal out of the fact that her sexuality is pretty fluid, too. Yeah. Like, I, I was explaining the movie to somebody else, and they were like, well, why would her sexuality change? And I'm like, well, why would you assume that her sexuality was fixed? <laughs> and so... Uh, I don't know. I like that the movie doesn't make a big deal out of yeah, that. Yeah, it, it very much detangles the idea of, like, sexual attraction to gender, which is the, the thing everyone who is trans has been yelling about forever. Mm-hmm. Yes. I did not expect a movie from 1992 to do that in a, in a way that actually worked, but it, it really worked. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have an email from Jen, uh, who'd read the book. The one person who's read the book. Thank uh, you, Jen. So. Took an entire course and wrote several papers on Virginia Woolf. As a closeted trans woman at the time, I was captivated by Orlando. It's a strong satirical story that pokes fun at England's self of sense of self-importance, as well as the scathing indictment of the way women authors were treated in comparison to men. Uh, the book made waves that are still felt in feminist and queer theory even today. I was curious to see how the movie tackled this. As much as I love Tilda Swinton's performance in Orlando, the movie felt more like a lucid dream than the witty book it was based upon. With only a 90-minute runtime, it barely finds time for one conversation after Orlando's transformation, let alone two. And it nixes Shalmardine's trend- gender nonconformity entirely in favor of a 10-minute scene with Billy Zane. On its own, it did a great job of keeping me engaged, but it never felt like Orlando the book to me. Uh, question, is there a book in your life where the movie didn't compare, either because it covered the same material ineffectively, or it felt like it was telling a different story altogether? Keep up the great work. I was in the third grade when my favorite book was adapted into a very bad movie. And my favorite... What's I'm going to tell you what it is. You're going to laugh at me, because it's a I very know. problematic book. I mean, you were in third and grade, this... so you're excused. Okay. The book series was The Indian, the Indian in the Cupboard the oh, God, I... by Lynn Reed Banks. It's a British, I, I want to say she's British. It, it, uh, it's about this little boy named Omri who uh, has this toy Native American and he puts it in this cupboard that he gets, like not thinking much of it. And then he opens it up in one day and the Native American is alive. And there's a whole series of books with like his- Are you fucking uh, kidding me? I'm not kidding. This was written, <laughs> I believe these were- these were all not only a book, like, they made a movie about it that everyone I know who is of our age saw in the <laughs> 90s. I remember being so fucking excited because I yeah, loved these books. Yeah, they were, I, they I, were I, books that everyone read in school. They were popular kids' fiction. Yeah, I think they were written in the late 70s, 80s. I, I want to believe they're older than this film, but I don't remember. But they were really, really popular, and there was a whole series of them. And like I said, he ha- he has a cowboy. Like, a cowboy comes in at some point. There's a lady Native American... Uh, it's really problematic stuff. But this was back before... five. Directed by Frank Oz. the book came out? Oh, no, no the, the movie, film. Movies from 95, yeah. Okay, so I was... Uh, my man had been older than... I don't know how old I was, but I just remember being... You would have been nine years old. Okay, so yeah, third grade. Yeah. I was crushed, you guys. Like, it was so soulless, and these books made me so... They were like... Because the books were about like respecting humanity <laughs> and they weren't great books like i'm not gonna sit here and defend them but i just remember they gave me a feeling of like you know and the, these films were so empty they were so soulless <laughs> or excuse me this one film and i've never really trusted an adaptation since like i appreciate them but when they go bad they go horrible yeah like to the point where now if there's a movie coming out on a bunch of popular books i either have to make a decision like am i going to read these books if not i will see the movies if i am reading these books i don't want to see the movie yeah <laughs> well, jackson what's your least favorite mo- book adaptation um this is hard I, I don't i don't have very many um 
in the usually I've either watched the movie or read the book. I have there's very few that I had like read in advance that actually disappointed. Like you know the the movie of High Rise is great. Um, you know yeah. what? That's true. And and stuff like that. I guess like a, a, uh, this one is not doesn't count exactly because of the timeline and also it's all one person. But uh, Norska is uh, the movie is a waste of time for cowards only in comparison to the manga. Um, uh, I, look, the movie's still good. It's good. I the love movie. that movie. That's my favorite but, Miyazaki. I think he went in hard with that manga. Yeah, the manga goes the manga goes so many places. I'm gonna movie, read it. You should. Oh, I God, have I'm another sorry. one. Can I offer up another one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. please. Uh, it just popped into my head when you were talking about High Rise, but. Um, Okay, so oh, shit, I lost it. Let me think. I have, a, I have one, I, but it also it doesn't count. But it fits the spirit of this and art, uh, and specifically for just me and M. Okay. Let's hear it. Uh, the movie Need for Speed, twenty fourteen. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, yeah. Y'all, uh, someone. I think I, I think I mentioned this on a different. I think I'm like VoIP Live or something. Here's a free podcast idea. Someone, please do this because I don't have the time. You need to get a friend together, like likes movies, likes books. You need to read the novelizations of movies and then watch the movies. But you can't do it in any. Order. It has to be in that order. Yes. And I want a podcast about thoughts on the book and then your thoughts on the movie in comparison to the book. Um, and it would be it'd be great. I, I'll listen. I'll be your biggest fan. I think Too that much sounds... production work because you kind of have to do a segment about the book and then take a break and then a segment after watching the movie. Yeah. Oh, okay. I remembered mine. Okay, so my favorite book in high school was Stephen Chbosky's "The Perks of Being a Wallflower." Oh God! But they waited like fifteen years to adapt it into a film. Yeah, and I saw that movie with you. That movie fucking sucked. <laughs> I don't think that movie's for me. I think that movie works for, like, younger kids. I don't think that movie... It's just weird because the book is such a... It was such a huge part. It was like my Bible in high school. Like, or eighth grade in, through high school. Just such an important book to me. But, like, it's not a good... It's, it's kind of a messy book. I, I won't say it's a bad book. I'll say it's a messy book. Uh, my, the, my, oh, go ahead. Film, the film... I just wish they could have made the adaptation sooner to when the book came out, because I feel like it would have been a better movie. But anyway, go on. Uh, my book is uh, The Lost World Jurassic Park, which <laughs> uh, is a fantastic book and a very bad movie. Um, that's all. I don't have any thoughts about it. Book's good. People should read Jurassic Park. Both books are really good. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a, we had a, someone write in with a big long list of Hong Kong cinema. Someone asked us, what other Hong Kong movies do you recommend? And, uh, Shomik, uh, wrote in with just like 20 movies. I'm going to post these in the blog. I'm not going to read them all out. Um, but if you want like someone giving you a bunch of movies you could watch, uh, cause I've seen one of these, <laughs> um, you should, uh, check them out. Um, cause I assume they're good. Uh, you know. And then we had one final question, um, which was, uh, who sent that in again? Sorry. Um, from Kobold Time wrote in a general movie question. What films would you recommend to someone who's never really approached film with a critical eye and, but would like to start doing so? So I want to start out by saying, um, me and Jackson in January did a really long VoIP life, which is a, one of our premium podcasts about our history of films and how we think about film criticism and how people can get into it. Um, we decided to make that free. I'll link it in the description. You could just go listen to it. Um, you know, if you like them, we do one of those every two weeks. They're, it's ten dollars. Uh, you know, I understand that's expensive for people, but um, we really like this one. I think it's worth talking through um, because 
my answer, and then I'll yield the floor to Dusty because me and Jackson talk for like two hours about this. So I, you know, we don't want to circle too much is it's important to like developing taste. I thing will happen naturally with a lot of input. So what I would suggest is watching widely and indiscriminately. And that means like new movies, bad movies, good movies, old movies, foreign movies, uh, you know, movies from America, silent movies, black and white, whatever. Just put as many things in your eyeballs. I think that's so important. The, the other thing we say in there that is, I think, arguably the most important bit of advice uh, we gave, which uh, I think about a lot because of the times I struggled to follow it, is the importance of uh, watching a movie and not touching your phone. <laughs> Yes. Uh, I'm just sitting down <laughs> and watching a fucking movie and not looking away and like you can you can pause it's better to pause it and then come back later if you can't focus. Like watching it in multiple parts is uh worse is is better than half watching it. But I'm my brain is so ready to half watch things that I have to remind, force myself but that is a uh, uh that is probably the best bit of advice we gave. I also struggle with it. So it's not feel bad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I would just I I, I think both of your points are pretty good. I, I don't think I have anything really to add other than if just the more movies you watch, the more you'll develop that eye and that taste and that thing that uh, makes it work for you. I don't think yes. there are specific movies designed to make this better for you because you can uh, watch. There are critical theory podcasts about, or not podcasts, but you know, books and heaps of media made about movies you wouldn't think that people study and I, I also want to jump in real quick and say the wrong thing that all of us do at some point is to go to a best of film list and try to watch everything on it yes oh, God, not yeah. the way not no the way. and we, I, we've all been guilty of that how many times yes. have i printed out ebert's best films yes great uh is that what that list is called great movies. greatest great films? films yeah great, great movies, movies. Yeah. thank you I pr i've printed out that list three separate times in my life with the intention of watching all of them and well, I love Roger Ebert, do or die, but like that's just not the way to do it. You gotta yeah. develop your sense of taste first. You have to develop, and your... also so you just can't watch the same like often. Like a list like that has a certain like quality of art to it. Yes, um, and you There's just can't vocabulary. watch that all the time. You'll get numb, <laughs> and you won't. I don't think you'll see what's special about it if you hear too yeah. many other people's input before you get to it yourself. So I would recommend. Just watching something like if you think, oh, this is supposed to be a capital G, great capital M movie. Um, like, let's say you're watching one of those Ebert movies. Try not to think about Ebert while you're watching it. Try to just think what you think of it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Building building a trust in your own gut reaction, even if that reaction is, I don't see what's so great about that movie, is really important. We cover this in that podcast. Uh, the infamous one, I feel like most of my friend group uh, fucking hates Chinatown. It's considered a classic movie. It's I've a never bad met a person movie. who likes it. Yeah. <laughs> and there's also like movies that can, you, you might be the person who finds a new way to look at this movie because you're mm -hmm. not a film critic who went to school in. <laughs> on a, a, a u.s coast who has a very specific viewpoint and vocabulary like you might be the one to discover the greatness of speed racer like m did <laughs> look everyone eventually discovered the speed greatness of speed racer dragon ball evolution however i will consider myself holding down the fort for <laughs> jet lee's the one jet lee's the one is just a good movie i've never seen it i have no you should watch that one you should watch. Uh, I'll watch it's like it. eighty minutes long. It's a great time. I think. I think I have it to watch. I think I've gotten it. We just haven't watched it yet. So, yeah, I just um, think yeah, following your gut is the answer, and just watching as much as possible because that's how all those movies, like all the people that get 
to have opinions on movies publicly and professionally, like, that's kind of how you find that stuff, is you just watch widely. Yeah. Okay, that's it for questions. If you want to send in questions, of course, it's podcast at abnormalmapping.com. We decided we were going to take another three-week break. Uh, we did one last time that was unplanned. Schedules didn't line up. But instead of going a week, you know, next week to get back on schedule, because we have a whole, we have so many podcasts, uh, it's important. <laughs> we can't just move Reptile Screenings willy-nilly. Yes. Um, we can't just do two weeks because, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's too much work for uh, us, but um, we're going to take another three-week break. Everyone's in quarantine. You know, watch some movies. Maybe I'll watch the movie by then I can talk about. Um, and uh, we will be covering Point Break. Um, movie uh, n- I, none of us have seen, right? Right? Pretty right. Sure right? No. And I, I was only like, know Hot Fuzz. Yeah, yeah I'm just about to... I was, you took the words <laughs> right out of my mouth. I've seen Hot Fuzz. And uh, Catherine Bigelow is one of those directors that, like, you know, you get too far into her stuff, and suddenly she's making fucking a military fascist propaganda. So I don't want to touch it, but I'll talk about Point Break. Yep. Near Dark was so good. I mean, we should do Zero Dark Thirty one point, eventually. Oh, okay. You know, or not. Like, it's bad, but, you know, if you want to talk about it, you can talk about it. Yeah. We are circling back around. Obviously, yeah, we did cover Near Dark, but that movie was incredible. So, oh, Near Dark was amazing. Yeah, I yeah. About the the shot with them on fire a lot. Yes. <laughs> uh, other than that, it's time for plugs. Destiny, where can people find you? At Fridge Buzz now, pretty much everywhere. Jackson, you can find me at Headfuls Off on Twitter dot com. Uh, you can find the podcast that me and M do, AdamRollMapping dot com. There's a uh, there's loads there. They're all good. Check them all out, if you can. Um, we got uh, an abnormal mapping on Kentucky Route Zero coming soon. I should have an Amory score up this week, maybe. Finally. Maybe. Finally. I recorded a couple of weeks. <sighs> Look, been a, while, been a lot of work. Also, I've been lazy. Um, not going to discount that. But You're allowed. We're in a pandemic. You can be lazy all you want. Yeah, this I mean, podcast is probably going out on Tuesday and not Sunday night. <laughs> I can be lazy, like, partially the amount I want. Not all I want. I cannot yeah. be lazy all I want. Oh, okay. Well, uh, yeah, don't overdo it. Just within <laughs> reason, you should take breaks and take care of yourself. And also, who's waiting for a podcast to come out on a Sunday night? Everyone is waiting for Amory's score. Really? Y'all yes. are, I, I associate podcasts with, like, my work day, so it's weird to me when people are like, oh, it's nighttime, time to get my podcast oh, on. We've been so rare with it, and everyone has enjoyed Amory Score a lot. Uh, and people, it's people beloved. Are very, people are very happy whenever me and Molly uh, deliver the dose of Claudia's bullshit. No matter what time it is. <laughs> yep. I'm glad it's beloved. It deserves it. Um, speaking of beloved, you can follow me on Twitter at em underscore being. <laughs> If you would like to support this podcast and all of our podcasts, you can do that at patreon.com slash mapping. For $1 a month, you will get The Great Gundam Project, where me and Jackson are going through Gundam two episodes a week. We're currently watching Gundam Wing and Space Runaway Ideon, which is uh, Tomino's show he made directly after Gundam got cancelled. Ideon also got cancelled. Um, and you find out why. It's really obvious if you watch the show. Um, but it's a really good podcast. People like it a lot. Wing is incredible. Um, and I know a lot of people like it uh, that aren't otherwise like Gundam people. So check it out with us. Um, and uh, other than that, you know, we'll keep going. Uh, you keep watching stuff. There's always the streaming services. Criterion's always putting something out. I want that big Anya's Varda box set that they're going to put out, even though it's $250. Um, I'll wait to it for a half off sale. Um, but it looks cool. Until then, I guess you can watch like planes or something, but. Don't expect to like them.